Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of Somewhere in the Skies. We are coming off the heels of some incredible things going on in the UAP world and beyond. And with me today, I can't believe we made this happen. I have got the entire crew of the new website, The Debrief, with me today. So welcome to the show. We have all the guys with us, MJ, Tim, and Micah. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies, guys. Good to be here. Thanks very much for having us. Never seen my, these people in my life. What? Um, who are people? Who, 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 that's not. That's not MJ. <laughs> Gentlemen, first and foremost, congratulations on the launch of the debrief. We're going to get into that first before we get to what I know everyone is here to actually hear about, and that is the article. But we will get there. We will get there. And not only the article, but a drop you did literally moments before we got on the air here today. You, you sneaky guys. We will get into that too. But um, before we do that, how does it feel to have this, the debrief up and going? Please tell me the origin. When did this idea really, you know, go from planting the seed to official launch. Um, anyone who wants to hop in, give us the origin story of the debrief, if you don't mind. Well, you know, I might as well, because mm-hmm. by now I'm sure if your listenership isn't already tired of seeing my face on here, Ryan, then they aren't going to be tired of hearing a little more. I mean, you know, these guys, uh, Tim and MJ and I, we've all known each other for quite a while. Uh, and uh, I don't think we've really even ar- hardly had time to really process uh, everything about you know how it feels. There's barely been time for that because with the launch, it's been go go go. Um, but what a lot of folks probably are less aware of is the fact that this has been a long time coming. There's been a lot of work that went into this. Uh, really, I would say more than a year in the making. Uh, you know, when Tim and I first initially had the pre-discussion discussions about it, you know, an idea that took shape and began to really crystallize when you know the three of us, MJ and Tim and I, uh, began to discuss this a few months ago and really start working out how we would do it and what we would want to do, how we would more importantly prevent it from just being another UFO blog and how we could kind of raise the bar on the discussion about uh, science, technology, defense, the future, 
and what role maybe unidentified aerial phenomena plays in that. Now, this is an exciting time, but I'd like to turn it over to Tim maybe first uh, and discuss a little bit about an, an operative term that he really brought into the discussion very early on. That was disruptive technology, and that's really, I think, a main focus of what we're trying to report on with the debrief. No, like Micah said, you know, we came together, all of us as friends, and kind of looking at it, um, definitely the UFO topic binds us together, but there's a lot more that goes on beyond the UFO topic. And uh, like Micah mentioned, when we're talking about what UFOs or UAP, whatever you want to call it, could represent, we're talking about disruptive technology. And we're talking about technology that changes the world, it changes life, it's the automobile from the horse, it's the airplane, it's the internet, and, and how we're able to do this here. Uh, that technology is always evolving. It's always on the playing field. And uh, but and a lot of times it's in what might be considered fringe ideas. Um, there's a difference between f- really, really fringe or people that have imaginations or we like to call it rebelliously curious uh, about what's coming. And so that's kind of what we focus on is what is the science and technology that's out there that could end up being disruptive and changing life as we know it. Um, it's going to happen. I mean, you just think of it, um, you know, in, in all of us are relatively young guys, some of us younger than others, um, MJ. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you think about it in your span of life. What is different? You know, I grew up on the, with a VCR. You know, was I remember getting a VCR at Sam's Club with my parents. And this is like, holy, oh, my gosh. Uh, and renting movies at Blockbusters. Those don't even exist anymore. So disruptive technology is constantly happening. And the science that, that is allowing it is constantly happening. And um, that's what we want to focus on. And, and the UFO part of it is there's so much more imagination that comes out of it. And you realize there's actual things that, that – could come from this, no matter what they represent. Yeah, you know, one more thing I think also to add, and really MJ can speak to this point too, Ryan, is where you kind of bridge what science currently knows, where we are operating within current scientific paradigms, and, you know, some of the speculations about purported UAP or similar subjects. Again, those are subjects that if science can be applied properly, which we hope that they can be, they stand to reason that they might be able to to expand scientific paradigms, you know, even move us into new areas of thought with relation to science. But, you know, NJ had a piece recently interviewing Seth Shostak. I mean, he's long really been a critic, I think, of a lot of the UAP UFO debate, but he's nonetheless a scientist who's looking for aliens. Uh, MJ. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, the perk of, of our site and, and the niche it maybe fits into that is is, is really untapped it, is we're not necessarily afraid to talk to individuals and, and work with individuals and, and and get into those news stories that other places may not want to touch because they are a little fringy and because they are a little out there, um, especially on the science and technology front or in the defense front. Um, so, so you know, when it comes to SETI, for example, as Micah mentioned, um, you know, Seth Shostak is, is, is really into UFOs, actually. He's, it's, it's something he really loves and something he's really passionate about. He loves talking about them. Um, but he's also a scientist. So, so like, like we said, sort of bridging that gap between the science of today and what we know about the universe today, physics, chemistry, biology, um, and, and how is that going to change in the next 50 years or, or century? Um, you know, I, I think people looked at the Wright brothers and, and called them insane. Um, or, or people, when it was suggested that we could go to the moon, you know, view that as ridiculous. So I think, you know, people look at 
the stuff we're writing about now, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's exoplanets, whether it's a search for extraterrestrial intelligence, whether it's, um, um, I don't know, China's China going to the moon um, and collecting lunar samples, um, you know, how is that going to affect our future? How is that going to affect the future of our species? Um, and that's what this site wants to do. Um, and we want to do it well with rigor um, and with objectivity. Absolutely. And um, you guys are touching on, I think, kind of the main component of uh, the world we live in today. And I do want to touch on this before we get into the article is uh, science. You know, here in America, at least, MJ, I know it might be a little different up in your neck of the woods. Um, We're living in a scary time in the United States where science has kind of been put on the back burner for a lot of people, which is I, I can't believe I'm actually saying that right now in the year 2020, that uh, people don't trust our institutions and and our science. So to see something like the debrief come along and show the benefit of these things and always looking forward, and again, putting our trust into these brilliant minds all over the world that you guys have made connections with and are writing about, uh, it, it gives me hope that we can kind of dig our way out of this uh almost cavemen-like mentality that we seem to be in the United States right now. So if anyone wants to touch on that, um, how big of a role will, you know, science play in a lot of what you're, you're covering? Well, you know, that reminds me of something interesting that came up in a conversation I had with a friend of ours, uh, Jazz Shaw, just the other day. And Jazz had said, you know, why in the world? And many folks are asking this, you know, why would you guys launch in the middle of a pandemic? But I think that really the choice of launching right now, I mean, it has both, you know, operational aspects, but I mean, I think it also bespeaks really fundamentally what we're trying to do with 2020. I think more so than any year previously, uh, at least in recent memory, we have learned never to take anything for granted. I mean, this has been a year that will be remembered and one that has really fundamentally changed the way of life for people all around the world. And one thing that I think that we have to be aware of is how quickly and how easily the comfort that we're so used to operating in can be offset and upset. And so with the debrief, I think one thing that we certainly all share, and I know that MJ and Tim and I have spoken about this at length on numerous occasions throughout the process of getting this set up is, you know, what are the potential threats that humankind faces? Now, for instance, UAP, there's no evidence that I know of, and apparently based on what you know, government has released about this, that indicates in any way overtly that there is a threat potential. And in fact, there doesn't even seem to be a scientific consensus on what UAP might represent, let alone whether it exists. I happen to be in the camp that thinks that it does, but I want more science applied to it before we leap to conclusions. Nonetheless, I think it's important to point out that the Pentagon's own program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, uses the operative term threat identification. And so obviously, when our military is looking at something from a national security perspective, what they hope to try and do is identify and assess whether a threat potential exists, and if so, how that can be mitigated. But that's not our only focus when it comes to that topic. I bring that up here because I think it is fundamentally important in the broader scope of everything that we look at with the debrief. Look at artificial intelligence. If in the future there is a potential that a machine intelligence akin to a super intelligence that far exceeds what human intelligence is capable of, yet again, humans will be confronted with something very similar to what might occur if and when UFOs touch down on the White House lawn, which Again, it's debatable whether that would happen, but in that science fiction sense of things, what that would entail is humans suddenly become aware and are confronted with an intelligence that's far superior or at least has more uh, technological sophistication than ours in our current paradigms. And so 
I look at artificial intelligence very much in the same way, but extend that to pandemics. How many experts for how many decades have been warning it's only a matter of time? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when the next influenza outbreak, the next Spanish flu scale pandemic erupts, that climate change, planetary defense from asteroid impacts, and any number of other things are things we need to be looking at today. And so I think that part of what we hope to try and do, and again, one of my colleagues I'm sure can speak to this point, is how do we analyze these things intelligently? How do we report on them responsibly? How do we raise the bar on the discussion that's being had and really promote awareness about these things? And so to your point, Ryan, you know, bringing science into the discussion is the most important thing we could be doing with all these topics. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys want to comment on that at all? Let MJ. God, no, I don't want to follow that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) He's the brains. Don't listen to that. (laughs) Well, I think the big thing too is like MJ, you can speak to this, speaking to Seth Shostak, someone who the UFO community kind of finds is, you know, one of the enemies in our quote unquote field, when in reality, a, if that's far from the case, what did you, what were your observations in talking to Seth on what I can only assume is going to be future articles as well? Yeah, listen, you know, I think Seth, like he's into UFOs as a sort of enjoyable, um, you know, subject he likes to dabble in. Um, but realistically, he's a scientist and he wants reproducible results and he wants to be able to, um, you know, do lab testing and on data. And, and that's fine. And unfortunately, you know, UFOs traditionally don't fit into that um, scenario. They don't fit into the ability to be reproduced and, and then tested. So we rely, you know, fundamentally on, on very little um, to to try and piece this puzzle together. Um, you know, that being said, we need to appreciate that we have... Um, military aviators, we have sources sort of that, that literally uh, work within the DOD who are willing to sort of explain that, you know, this is, this, this is a picture, for example, that was just released today that was attached to this report. Take from it what you want. It was in the report. And, and I think as a news organization, the debrief is going to simply say, okay, well, the report has this picture attached to it. So let's get that out there um, because I think people need to know and people need to see that. Um, we're not going to comment and we're not going to push a narrative. We're, gonna, we're not going to say that that picture right there is, is an image of an alien spaceship. For all we know, it could be a balloon. The, the, the fact of the matter is, though, it was attached to a report um, that was put out by a task force whose job it is, is to investigate unknown aerial phenomena. Um, and, and as I, I said on yesterday on, on the Rojas report, um, competition to your um, podcast. Alejandro is a close friended supporter. What, he what he I got me uh, my start in all this. I should say that. Perfect. So thank you, Alejandro. So moving what, on. I mean, what I said to him was, you know, either, um, you know, like we have multiple boxes here, right? Either this is foreign test craft, which is scary. This is some sort of unknown, otherworldly slash not us situation, which is scary. Or the people who run the DOD and the task force and the Office of Naval Intelligence or whoever, the Pentagon, um, they think it's an alien when it just a balloon. And that's equally scary too, right? Like we're like we're 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 perfectly fine to just sort of report the objective fact of the matter. This is a picture. Let's keep trying to turn up stones. Um, and, and I think where my issue lies is when the UFO community suddenly says, you know, I've been studying UFOs now for 20 years. I'm an expert in all things. Um, I think it's a balloon. Therefore it's a balloon. It's like, well, you know, I'm not really sure if that's, that's true. I mean, that could be an option, but it might not be. So 
we're trying to do this as objectively as possible as journalists without trying to editorialize. Um, this photo was included in a report circulated concerning UAP within the intelligence community, and that's what we're reporting. People want to speculate and say, yeah, uh, you know, here's a picture of a balloon because I've been studying UFOs for 20 years and I'm an expert. That's fine. You can delude yourself. If that's what you think, go nuts. But um, that's not my job to, to speculate or editorialize. I just tell you what we know. Exactly. You're reporting. Absolutely. Um, well, let's kind of rewind then, guys. I want to um, talk about the article. Now, um, this article you guys dropped yesterday, which would have been December 2nd, uh, crashed your server. So before we even talk about the content, I, that is one of our listener questions. Um, were you surprised by the response you got? I mean, I was... I was uh, out of this question (laughs) every hour on the hour waiting for this thing to come out in the minute it did. Boom. So yeah. Who wants to comment on that? Maybe I'll give you the prelude because really this is Tim's story and he needs to talk about it, but I will will just say uh, I was up and I was watching Tim and Tom Rogan and others tweeting at 3 a.m. East coast time. It was, you know, about eight o'clock his time over there. I was up the night before and yeah, I was preparing and I thought there'd be a lot of traffic and I thought I'll get up. I'll have the coffee. I'll be up by about six article drops at about seven Oh three AM Eastern time. And then, you know, we'll watch the server and just, you know, kind of make sure everything runs smoothly. Well, there's a lot of traffic. Let's just say there was, um, I mean, I think before 11 AM we had had thousands and thousands of individual views. It was, it was quite a lot. And so, yes, we, we brought in some help and, uh, you know, maintained, but again, you know, the whole thing is, is it felt at times like bailing water, but you know, I mean, the, the site performance, all things considered, considering the attention that the article got actually did pretty well. And, uh, we made it through it and we're all still friends, right? Yeah. And I mean, what a good problem to have. So Tim, let's talk, let's, uh, let's give the title fast movers and transmedium vehicles, the Pentagon's unidentified aerial phenomena task force, this task force we've been hearing about for a while now, a lot of people are, uh, you know, we're saying we're not going to find out anything from this mm-hmm. task force. It's all going to be classified. Public won't know anything. And then boom, you guys drop this. So Tim, maybe give us a little background. How, what was the process of this beast of an article? I mean, when you come out with something, man, we know that you've been working on this for a while. So yeah, give us the origin story of this article, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you say that, that uh, the idea that, you know, people were like, we're not going to get anything. It's going to be classified. Uh, that's kind of the origin of it. Um, in that if you read in the article and indeed this has been this we've been working on this for months to try to present the best quality product we can possibly provide um and work in the circumstances we have to work in and um you know so that we can stand behind it and say we put something forward that we feel very very confident that it is you know the best evidence we can provide um and it really started, as you'll see in that article, where we, we got the uh, the FOIA release um, indicating that, you know, there had been meetings uh, on UAP and not even just meetings, but you had the vice uh, vice chief of the Navy, uh, second highest ranking member of the United States Navy, telling the vice chief of the Air Force, I recommend you take this briefing on UAP, um, you know. And then acknowledging the secretary of the Navy had just received the briefing. And so you, you have the highest levels of the U.S. military, not just being briefed on it, but but recommending each other uh, receive these briefings. And you know, I reached out through all the normal channels through the Pentagon and said, hey, can we 
hear from somebody. Um, you know, for me, it's not about finding out UFO information, although I think that would be interesting. It, it's more about just kind of the relationship of the reason the press is supposed to exist, the, the, the whole principles of how democracy is supposed to function in which uh, the public, you know, the government functions on the consent of the public, but that's implied consent. And so in order for people to make, in, or, excuse me, it's informed consent in that uh, they need to be informed. And so I, I, Clearly, you've got all the evidence. This is a serious issue. It's being treated as such. Yet, how can people make an informed decision to their leaders? Like MJ said earlier, either A, this is something that's serious and needs to be examined and we need to be talking about it. Or B, there's a lot of high ranking people that are running our government who are in control of weapons of mass destruction who are batshit crazy. Either option is significant <laughs> we need to know about as a public. And so that kind of sent me down this path once I was told that uh, by the Pentagon, yeah, we're not talking about anything. Um, to start tracking down anything and everything I could and talk to people just to get an idea of, you know, what is this task force? You know, it's being acknowledged. What are they doing? Is it just a you know, water cooler club? Is it something that's officially going on? Are they working on anything? Are they doing anything? Are they producing product? And uh, that's where it led us to these kind of revelations that um, indeed they are doing work um, to the point where they're disseminating uh, very significant intelligence reports that are being uh, distributed widely throughout the intelligence community. Um, you know, just in my opinion in dealing with this topic, uh, you know, in a manner that is consistent with serious topics uh, that are taken serious, serious intelligence matters. So whether you have anything you want to think of, whether it's uh, terrorism or anything, very similar manner. And this is going out uh, into the intelligence community so that people can be aware of it, so they can be on the lookout for it. You know, other analysts can try to put clues together and, and it ultimately kind of facilitates these analyst networks where they're like, oh, now I'll be on the lookout for this as I'm examining whatever my job is. Um, fascinating, <laughs> you know, fascinating that there was that, that much level going on there. Um, and for me, I mean, so there was the, the two reports that we mentioned that have been yeah, issued yeah. and wi widely distributed. The first one, you know, and the first one um, I was told was kind of pedestrian. You know, I mean, it was just kind of a, hey, guys, this is serious. We need to look into this. Uh, here's kind of a brief overview of what's going on. And, and that's the one that included the photo that we released today, um, which of itself, I think, like MJ said, uh, it, it's not, you know, it's it's something, you know, and I think we all said it looked like a balloon. Um, now, obviously, you know, when, when I spoke to people who had read the report, uh, they're very responsibly describing it because I want to make abundantly clear you know, these are these are information that is shared on classified systems. You know, the the photograph that we shared today was was unclassified, uh, official use only. But those reports were classified; they're classified systems. So, so they were very responsible. So, I, I, do I have all the details that make uh, that led them to say that that was uh, unidentified aerial phenomena? No, I don't. <laughs> um, they did, um, but that was one of the things relayed to me is that. Uh, you know, I asked the people who had read it and I said, well, do you think that the report like this would have gone out if this was a balloon? And they were, you know, uh, no. And, and that's just based on the processes that goes into these type of reports where, where they're, 
they have to be signed off on approved. I mean, there's a lot of layers. It's not like some random one person's like, Hey, I'm going to type this up and throw it out. And, um, it's not a chain mail type email. It's a very formal process. And, but you know, there wasn't anything in that first report that, that seemed to really blow everybody's socks off. But, uh, the second report that we found out about that came out in late summer, September this year, uh, for me was a lot more substantial, you know, Obviously, there was everyone I spoke to mentioned, you know, the triangle photo. I mean, that was the first thing um, it, it was being widely discussed throughout the intelligence community that it was everybody. Everybody was <laughs> excited about this, that, that this photo was crystal clear um, and uh, it clearly showed an object that nobody seemed to be able to identify. Um for me, the biggest takeaway was the fact that that second report was all about uh, USOs or transmedium vehicles, which is where the title comes from, fast movers and transmedium vehicles. And it was the idea that uh, this task force is starting to look at uh, what's going on underneath the oceans. And that's, <laughs> you know, that brings up a whole new can of worms for me. And in fact, you know, we discussed this person amongst ourselves going, we very literally know more about uh, the planets in our solar system and map them and know all the contours than we do our own oceans uh, you know, by a considerable margin. And so you start thinking of that. It makes the topic, I don't, I don't know if frightening is the right word, but you realize, hold on, wait a minute. It's not coming and going. It's here. You know, and it, wait, what's going on here? And so, uh, you know, nobody said, even in that report, that that there was any, there had any real conclusion had been come to. Um, but this was definitely somewhere that they were looking at. And, and um, in exploring that side, frankly, um, was fascinating. And, and I think we'll, you know, that's something I want to do a lot more of. I think we already plan on maybe trying to really put together something that, that gives everybody else to like, what is a USO and what's been going on? Because I realized this is a, kind of an untapped area here. Um, you know, right. there are some, stuff but it's it's not as prevalent as you think about in the sky and um a lot of questions there like how many reports do we not know about you know right well and also tim i think keeping in mind that a lot of what we're getting uh public information now comes from the navy and now maybe we're starting to understand why that a lot of this has to do more with what could be on our planet, like you said, than what's in our skies. And also mm-hmm. why, you know, the Navy is getting in touch with the Air Force, like in mm-hmm. these reports, in these emails that you disclose to the public is, uh, yeah, we're not just dealing with potential threats in our skies. And we've been hearing this for years now from people mm-hmm. like Luis Elizondo and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, former Navy intelligence officials and whatnot. So, yeah, do MJ or Micah, do you have anything to add to this um prevalent thing right now with USOs and what you're reporting on. Yes, I certainly do. The the issue with USOs is something that certainly has, you know, been addressed in UFO literature. Uh it's not surprising that it's, you know, kind of based on Tim's reporting, uh you know, it appears to be something that is kind of taking center stage with current efforts and inquiries uh, on behalf of the UAP task force. Um with regard to the USO as they're referred to often, uh, again, this merely referring to UFOs or UFO-like, UAP-like phenomena that also seems to be as capable of of traversing water and going into water, coming out of water. It's as operable within an aqueous environment as it is in the air. 
which raises a lot of questions. But again, we can go back to the Blue Book reports. There were a number of reports of you know, objects emerging from oceans, especially during the Blue Book years. Uh, and those were cataloged, you know, and in fact can still be read online to this day. Uh, there is also, uh, there was a book at least uh, back in the 1970s authored by Ivan Sanderson, best known again as a zoologist with an interest in the unexplained. And at times, maybe also, you know, a little more speculative with his approach uh, than the scientists of today. Uh, he was better known, I think, for other things that he wrote about, but he certainly wrote a book and probably maybe, I would say, the first uh, significant book that looked at uh, the idea of submersible UFO type phenomena that enter and come out of the oceans. And, you know, again, the interesting thing about all of this is that uh, in the modern dialogue, many people, and we see this all the time, uh, this could just be our stuff. This is somebody's technology. It's ours, maybe Russia or China. You can go back to the early 1960s, you know, look at the very first CIA director, right? Hill and Cotter talking about the fact that I see no evidence that the phenomena that we're observing is a Soviet technology. He was saying that back in the 1960s and about his experience observing objects that do exactly what we're talking about here, this transmedium kind of technology, as Tim reports on in his article. He's reporting about this going back to the beginning of the UFO era in the late 1940s and early 1950s. And I think that it's important to illustrate if we're going to talk about UAP. And again, the debrief covers a whole lot more than that. But obviously, we are interested in that. And that's kind of the tie that binds in terms of all of our backgrounds. If we're going to talk about that, though, something that has to be addressed is the historical aspect of the phenomenon, which, you know, Ryan, you and I've talked an awful lot about on the show in the past. Yeah. And again, if one really looks at the history of the phenomenon and looks at the history of developments in relation to our perception as human as civilization, you know, of some sort of a phenomena, a technological component that we can't identify, it's hard to ignore that this same phenomena that we're observing today, which the Pentagon has taken interest in, which the Navy's task force is currently looking at, very similar descriptions were being offered decades ago, more than half a century ago, which describe a number of the same sorts of vehicles, a number of the same sorts of behavior, including the USO component. And essentially, there's tremendous continuity that must be addressed in order to understand, I think, the proper context in which we can frame the debate and how we try to address it. So, again, I'm very glad to see that the current analysis that we're uh, you know, seeing with the task force, as Tim reported on Fantastic in his article, you know, I'm very glad to see that that's being addressed because this is something that I think many people who are historians of this phenomena have long known about, and it really deserves more attention as we proceed with our knowledge about the phenomenon. Absolutely. And uh, for anyone watching, the Men in Black did get MJ. He's gone. He's gone. He was the first to leave debrief officially. Uh, no, MJ is working right now. So thank you, MJ, for joining us, brother. I know you had to get back to work. Um Always love to get his insight on all of this as well. So thank you, MJ. Uh, but to continue with with both you guys, in terms of um, the transmedium aspect mm -hmm. to this article uh, is something I find absolutely fascinating. Um, we know within ATIP, they looked at this within the five observables, as they have coined it. And um, you even included the Aguadilla, Puerto Rico mm -hmm. video within the uh, embedded into your article. So I'd love to get your guys takes on that whole aspect of all of this you know maybe that's why the air force is talking to the navy about these things because they're starting in space they're coming to the sky they're going into the ocean they're going somewhere else i mean this is insane i mean any tech that we know about in the public could it do something like that in your in your guys uh you know educated opinions i guess 
Well, you know, in my educated opinion, no, but but I spent a lot of time asking. I mean, that's one of the important things for us. And I think MJ mentioned it earlier is just to try to responsibly and maturely report on this stuff. And so uh, not editorialize, although there are times when we may print opinion pieces, but we're going to clearly indicate that. But but something like this, uh, I, I don't profess to be an aerospace expert. Um, I'm not an aerospace engineer. And so but it's important for us to try to talk to those people that are. And, uh, you know, I did speak to, you know, probably one of the leading experts in drone technology that helps put out the uh, the annual drone forecast report every year. And, you know, he was very pointed at when, when he said, uh, you know, when I asked, are you aware of anything that is capable of, quote, transmedium, where it can go in and out of the water um, seamlessly? And, and so, you know, there are some smaller systems that are designed for like tube launched uh, drones, which are all, you know, not operational to our knowledge. But we know that there's prototypes of these. But these are not what was being described. And they're sure not, you know large scale size um, where technically you could have an operator uh, fit inside um, that, that are being described in these encounters or as Micah brought up the, that are no, by no means recent. You know, you know, we were able to track down just a ton of reports, uh, very similar uh, going way back to the fifties. Uh, you know, there's one that I have. And like I said, I think that we, we me and Michael team up and kind of put together a nice USO primer piece for anybody. But I mean, there's some that we could find going all back back to the 30s, the 20s, uh, before the, quote, uh, flying saucer craze of 1947. So there's nothing that accounts for that technology back then. There's nothing now. Um, I don't have a good explanation. I think that's the thing that's really interesting. And as the thing is, we're just reporting on this and we're maybe some people even maybe since frustration wouldn't be the right word, but just maybe exasperation at the end of my article where, uh, you know, I spoke to to Brigadier General Bruce McClintock and, uh, you know, I just kind of highlighted his background of experience, which took up a paragraph in and of itself, you know, deputy commander of NORAD, deputy commander of space command, current head of space enterprises for RAND. Um, but if you go to look at his DOD bio, which is still available, you you look at that and go, okay, Wow. I mean, this was a gentleman who is rated on 35 different aircrafts, you know, over 3000 hours. This is a guy who, you know, had a, had a great career uh, in the Air Force and somebody I feel like who who is definitely much more qualified than me. And, you know, when I ask him and what do you think? Because I know I know that I mean, it, it, we should go down the tra- checklist of the most likely or pragmatic. We know classified testing exists. We, we've got to examine that. Um, and, you know, when I ask him and he's just like you know, a, the idea of testing it unwittingly on your own people, it's just the, the safety concerns that are involved, the, the amount of red tape that would have to sign off on that. And I think people get lost on that. I think the, the idea and impression that a lot of people have of government is really loose and willy nilly. And you, you kind of, well, the government can do whatever they want. There's a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy in government. There, there's a rule for every rule. And so to get something like that approved, you know, he, he essentially felt like no one would even attempt it first and B, no one would sign off on it. And and frankly, you know, from everybody I spoke to, and that's why I highlighted my interviews with Jean Petit and uh, Kitty Barnes, and, and in particular, Jean Petit, who is not a name a lot of people know, but 
that that gentleman is really the grandfather of electronic warfare technology. I mean, he's the guy who what has become the real space that, that warfare is going into where you're fighting computer systems rather than missiles. You know, he's the one who invented that kind of stuff. Uh, these are people that should know. And, and when I'm asking them, you know, did you ever test stuff against your own people and they not know about it? And they're like, mm, no. You know, they may not have known what they were going up against. They may not have known who was the real agency providing the funding, who was backing it. But they always knew it was a test. And so I can't, couldn't, you know, that exasperation is like, all right, you know, I hear a lot of people on the Internet. I hear a lot of people with theories. Well, it's got to be this, you know, people looking at patents and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't find anybody that's qualified, that has the background and the expertise who's even hinting. Oh, yeah, that sounds likely we could do that. Um, and the same as General McClintock talked about, uh, could this be foreign technology? And, and, you know, he brought up a very valid point that I think just in my own research and just understanding of, of military and defense, national security in general, the idea that a foreign adversary would be so brazen as to you know, come in to protected airspace, fly over the continental U.S., fly in low proximity to civilian areas in the continental U.S., fly over nuclear weapons facilities so brazenly and openly, there, there's l- very literally not a policy in response to that kind of ferreting that would be going on. Um, and it's just, you know, A, why would you risk losing a technology that, that's that impressive by flying it you know, unnecessarily like that? And, uh, you know, why would you risk potential, uh, you know, act of war if, if this thing crashed into a residential neighborhood? Uh, you know, and so he pointed out, you know, it, very accurately, he, you know, he, he's a retired Air Force general. He's not a retired Russian general. He's not a retired Chinese general. So he can't speak, you know, with absolute certainty. But uh, it's very highly unlikely because you just wouldn't see that type of response. And, and I think he, he very accurately pointed it out that. If somebody had that technology, if Russia had that technology, we would be seeing these sightings in the Balkans, near Poland, near Ukraine. It would be near their spaces. You, if it was China, you would see it in the South China Sea, near Japan. Um, at the end of the day, you know everything's developed in the defense world for a purpose. And so for these types of countries, unless there's just this giant expeditionary force that would plan to invade the continental United States, the idea of needing to ferret the American air defenses so intimately that you've got to fly over Bob and Sally's house in Omaha is just, it's why? So it leaves us. And that's where I'm at. It's like, I I don't know. You know, I I don't, you know, I I don't have any evidence. It's aliens either. You know, I'm, (laughs) I don't know what it is. And so it's, it's, it's a good mystery. And I think that's, I can see why it gets frustrating for people if you try to legitimately cover it and everything, because you, you're left in this weird space where you don't know. And it's also a topic that I'll be honest with you. I only report on the kind of national security world. People get mad at, why are you trying to make this a threat? And I'm like, dude, this is just a world that I'm comfortable with. So this is what I report on. It doesn't mean it's my personal beliefs. It doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, we, why? Because we need to get them and arm them and take over the world. No. Um, but outside of that space, and when you do hear some of these accounts and people who've done phenomenal research and everything, it's very difficult to stay in a nuts and bolts world. 
You know, I, I don't know. You know just recently, I, I spoke with somebody who who witnessed an identical uh, shaped craft, identical down to a T, uh, is the triangle that was described in the photo of the second briefing. I mean, it, it's identical. Um, and they were standing within a foot of somebody else and they both saw it. And in real time, it passes over them at a hundred feet. And, you know, this person says it looked like it was white. The person that's standing next to him says, no, it's, it's black in real time. I don't have an explanation for that. Yeah. You know, I understand that like our memories could all be faulty. So, you know, that's for me, when we talk about, can it, do we have any transmedium technology? I'm like, dude, we don't even, I don't see the intermediary blocks of being able to alter people's perception of color, transmedium, uh, right angle degree turns, not, uh, you know, not have sonic booms, uh, an energy source that allows you to, because you've got to be able to power something like, I don't see any of those. And so I'm left going, well, I, I guess like half the world's either crazy or there's something else, or I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever looked up to the skies and seen something you can't explain? Or walked deep in the forest and sensed something watching you? Do you believe in an afterlife or a hidden veil that can communicate with the living? Then you need Shadows of Your Mind magazine. Download all issues completely free at shadowsmagazine.co.uk. Shadows of Your Mind, where your search for the answers begins. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Some really important points, and I want to illustrate, by the way, his background, both in mathematics and also psychology, and I appreciate that perspective that he brings to this, you know, because fundamentally, and this is what I would argue even in the historical context when we're looking at UFOs, I mean, what we're really talking about, I think, is the long-held human tradition of looking in the sky and seeing things we can't identify and ascribing agency to that. And between 
the human and the perception therein and then the phenomena in the sky that's observed. I mean, there's a lot to still try and work out about this. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a technology behind observed phenomena that constitute what we call UFO reports. It is simply to say, however, that like the tree falling in the woods, does it make a sound if nobody can hear it? If we're to get philosophical here for a moment, is there such a thing as a UFO without a human observer? And so we certainly have to take that into consideration here. But, you know, to back up on a few of the points that Tim's raising right there, again, the idea, and this is an important one that he uh, points out, the idea that an enemy, let's say that this was Russia or China or even some unidentified or even a non-state actor of some kind, if you can imagine any hypothet- you know, hypothetical scenario that could account for UAP having earthly origins, right? I think we also have to keep in mind that, like Tim is saying, there would be tremendous risks involved in terms of flying top secret aircraft or whatever, whatever kind of technology, you know, over enemy airspace. Now, it's not to say that it's never been done again with the U-2. We did that. You know, we were flying over Russia. But at that time, also, it was the most sophisticated plane in terms of what it was doing in terms of intelligence gathering at the time. You know, the Soviets didn't have aircraft that could fly up high enough to intercept it, but one did eventually crash. And so the historical precedent set is if you're going to fly over enemy territory, that aircraft can be brought down. You better have a good cover story. And you also better be able to, uh, you know, have accountability in terms of the enemy capturing your technology. And even back in the 1940s and 50s, when it was first being discussed that there might be a phenomena behind UAP, UFOs, as they were called at the time, you know, people in intelligence were looking at it at, at that time and saying, we can almost certainly rule out a Soviet technology because it seems almost impossible that they would take such incredible risks flying this kind of, you know, technology over U.S. airspace, knowing that we might shoot them down and attempt to acquire the technology ourselves. So, you know, again, I think that history teaches us some lessons there. And also on the USO subject, Tim mentioned the famous Agua de la Vida uh, video, which was, I think, uh, I think that was leaked a few years ago. And of course, uh, it's been studied by a number of organizations, including one of which I'm a part, which is the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. And what a lot of people aren't aware of about that footage is that, of course, there were complimentary FOIA requests made in relation to the video, which appears to show something. Now, some skeptics have tried to make the argument that this is just a seabird that's circling and then it's diving down a pelican, basically landing on water. Uh, what most are probably unaware of about that is that the complimentary FOIA requests indicated testimony from those that observed the object illuminated at the time it was first spotted. And as it's coming in, there was a light. Now, again, unless pelicans are strapping lights, you know, to their to their beaks or what have you and flying in, you know, that's probably not what that is. And nonetheless, there has been the skeptical argument. And I'm fine with skeptical arguments. We need those. And, you know, Tim's had some great dialogue with skeptics like uh, Mick West and, you know, folks who's, whose opinions actually I value a lot. But we have to look at all of the information and we have to take into account all of the descriptions on a case-for-case basis with, the, uh, basis with these phenomena. In the case of the Aguadilla video, which he linked in his article as a example of potential transmedium phenomena or technology, Again, if it had a light on it, it seems to strongly suggest that this was not a bird or something of other natural origin. But what we do see is an object that is flying very quickly as it circles around, comes out over the ocean, and then goes down under the water and then resurfaces, at least for a moment. So, again, is that maybe an, an example of this so-called transmedium technology? Yes, perhaps. There's still a lot of questions about that. But again, if we look back throughout history, we have plenty of similar cases that seem to suggest that this has been around and which equally to me, I think, puts, you know, a fair amount of question behind the argument about 
you know, whether we can safely define this as simply being an enemy technology or our own. And my fundamental takeaway is this. The dialogue today that's ongoing about this has changed very little since the 1940s and the 1950s. And yet, I will say, and not to use a pejorative sense of the word, but the mainstream media continually seems to overlook the historical aspect of this. If more people would look at that, I think that the continuity over the last several decades, at least perhaps earlier, as Tim even touched on, might become more apparent. Absolutely. And I think important to keep in mind, too, is why we are trying to move this UAP topic forward, uh, we have to look at the past, of course, always. And I think that's extremely important. And um, I guess kind of playing off of that, and I know, Tim, you have another interview to go to in a little while. So I'll try to get through a lot of these listener questions for you early on. But um, to kind of wrap up uh, my section of questions for you guys, um, the Pentagon. And uh, this person who a lot of us go through to get information from, uh, Sue Go, that uh, is kind of the point person for a lot of this. You guys gave the Pentagon, the Navy, several chances to comment on this article you were putting out, and they decided not to discuss any of it. And um, I'd love to know, first and foremost... Has there been any follow-up or response from anyone within intelligence or Pentagon, Navy, military after you released this article? Um, and uh, also, do you think they even care that you release this? Is it, you know, kind of plausible deniability in their their heads of, yeah, let them go do their little article and come up with scenarios and um, speculation and uh, we're going to keep doing our thing. So, yeah, I know that's a, two pretty packed mm-hmm. questions, but who wants to comment on that? Tim, why don't you go ahead? <clears throat> yeah, no. Um, well, first of all, so let, let's let's unpack the first one. Um, you know, did, did I get any feedback from the inside? Um, yes. Um, and it was all positive. Um, uh, I'll tell you that, um, you know, I don't know how much of it uh, leaked out beforehand that I was working on something, but but some of it leaked out from the uh, intelligence community that, uh, you know, a lot of people knew that I was working on this and uh, were excited. And I don't mean just you know, the UFO crowd. I mean, people whose jobs don't involve UFOs typically. And in fact, you know, I was, I was told, uh, you know, people, I don't even know that they were saying, man, all our neighbors, uh, you know, in these communities in, in Virginia and around the DC area where everybody says they work at one place, but they really work somewhere else. Uh, they're all talking about it. And so, but it, it wasn't bad. And I think uh, it's really fascinating because it, they were, you know, there was some excitement because there's, there's very much legitimate interest inside uh, an official government capacity. And, and there's very much legitimately people currently working on this. Um, and, and in fact, uh, formal channels in place where analysts are able to discuss this and, and look at it. Um, and so there was, there was, there was positive feedback. I'll just leave it at that in terms of from, from some very surprising places, <laughs> um, including. The, yes. No, I mean, I, I can tell you that um, from elected leadership, there, there were elected leaders um, who saw the article that I was very surprised at, um, you know, potentially, I don't know. I, I haven't, I didn't talk to them personally, but potentially the, uh, the upcoming president elect uh, uh, Joe Biden. So, I mean, you're always, when you're like, wow, Joe Biden's seen this, um, you know, it puts you in perspective when you're writing on this stuff too. try to make it accurate because I was told the same thing 
about the popular mechanics article that uh, Donald Trump Jr. had showed that article, that that article got passed around and was on uh, Senator Rubio's desk at one point. And so you're like, oh, my God, you know, uh, geez, uh, make sure, you know, that's why I, that's why I, I yell at Micah. But when he takes so long to edit my stuff, I'm so happy. You know? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, I mean, to that point, it's it's a team operation and we all look out for each other. And, you know, right. I think uh, the important thing to keep in mind, too, is all three of you worked on this. I mean, I know a lot of the early legwork and um, research and everything, Tim, was all you. But when it comes to the debrief and the fact that you're all responsible for what is on your site, um, I'm sure there was a lot of work between the three of you of how can we represent this the best we can? Because, I mean, this thing is going to put a lot of eyes not just on the UAP topic, but the debrief in general, which I think is awesome. And I, to constantly stress that you guys aren't a UFO website. And a lot of what we're talking about with this UAP issue is not strictly, are there aliens? Are we alone? There's so much more to it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And let me just point out too, again. No, no, I want to jump. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, again, we, we might've all helped, but I mean, this is Tim's article. This is Tim's reporting. Uh, you know, I couldn't imagine somebody doing a finer job than he has. And it's not the first time, you know, I mean, yeah. publication on our platform, which we have launched. Uh, you know, he's written for a number of well-known publications, many of them with histories in science technology and the development of not only, you know, experimental technologies from over the years, but also uh, at times also touching on the UAP phenomenon, popular mechanics being one of those. So, again, you know, I mean, I think his reporting speaks for itself. And to me, the most important things in the new article, uh, that is the one from yesterday. There's actually another one that came out since then. Actually, several articles have dropped at the website. Everybody go and look at them. But I mean, crash the right. service. Oh, yeah, yeah, take it in time. Hold a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We need social dense distancing on the website right now, please. Yeah, really. Take everyone, get in line and just be patient. God. Yeah, well, I, I understand it. I'm thankful for all the attention. But again, you know, to, to Tim's credit, um, his hard work I think has really brought a lot of that attention. And what I hope that that will do is I hope that there will be a lasting a lasting readership who finds merit and uh, interest in what we are writing. And I hope that they will continue to come back, but not just to look at the UAP stuff. Tim's first article that really got a lot of attention on the website was about consciousness. And uh, Dr. John Joe McFadden, okay, I believe of East Surrey or was it East Anglia University? He's been working. He's been working for a number of decades on consciousness and has a number of very interesting out of the box kind of theories about that. Uh, you know, we, we've got articles about everything right now from uh, the most recent statements by a former commander in chief, Barack Obama, in relation to UFOs, where our good friend, uh, Nick Pope, former Ministry of Defense investigator into that phenomenon, actually was kind enough to provide his you know angle and his perspective on that, what that could mean or not. But we've got Seth Shostak, as we mentioned with MJ's article, artificial intelligence, everything you can imagine, really, as it relates to science and technology. We hope people are going to come back and want to see all of that as important as the UAP issue is. Right. Sure. Right. And I think to um, kind of playing off of that with this big article that just came out, I'd love to get both of your opinions on what do you think was most important that came out of this specific article? I mean, for me, it's the fact that uh, this is being discussed seriously within the intelligence communities. And it's an inside look at something that we've been pretty hesitant about, about, and that's the UAP task force. Like, are they even taking this thing seriously? Not only does it seem that way, but the idea of this being an intelligence, not from Russia, not from China, not from earth is still on the table for them is 
amazing, you know, for those who are true believers that we're dealing with an extraterrestrial intelligence with all this. So um, that for me was pretty big. And just the fact that uh, the ridicule factor and stigma seems to be dissipating each mm-hmm. more and more each day. So um, that's me. What do you guys think as the, the purveyors of this article? Well, Tim, how about I jump in first? Because I know you'll have more to say. And really, it's his article. And I want him to have the yeah. final word on that. Uh, yeah. and I'll just be brief again. First, I don't uh, class myself as a true believer. I'm undecided on what the phenomena might actually be. But the fact that it is as yet a topic for which there seems to be an abundance of evidence in support of its existence, but for which there remains no consensus about, all the more bespeaks the necessity, in my opinion, for proper analysis. And yes, that will also have to include assessment of a threat potential. So, Of course, the UAP task force is looking at this. That's an effort, which, of course, I know that we all support. I personally do. I'm very glad that uh, there are members of our government that are very seriously looking at this and taking it seriously and that they are as intrigued by some of the possible implications as we are. But really quickly, my big takeaways from Tim's fine piece were, A, you know, I mean, he managed to use the Freedom of Information Act, which I I think is one of the most important tools, not only for you know, Americans who are journalists and people who are reporting on these issues, but, you know, people in general, anybody can file a FOIA request. And many people who are not U.S. citizens file FOIA requests to the United States government. Transparency is a very important thing to us. And I think that it should be for every citizen, especially the United States, especially in the current, you know, political, uh, you know, scope of things right now in America. And, uh, you know, Tim used that tool, which was granted to Americans Uh, He obtained information from emails. He followed up. He did investigations. And then he spoke with a general from the U.S. Air Force on record who essentially said, speaking to the broader historical point, exactly what many who came before him have said. We don't have any clear read on what this may represent. And nonetheless, there appears to be something worthy of study. And again, that to me, and I said this to Tim before we went to print with the article, that to me is so significant because not only what is said, but what also was not said. There wasn't any clear determination. There wasn't any buzz off kid. It's just this or that. They seem to be genuinely perplexed. That in itself is very important to me. Tim, what do you have? I got to follow up Dr. King again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and, and first of all, before I even get into that, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that it is abundantly clear. Uh, yeah, I appreciate everything Mike has said, but 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 like you mentioned, Ryan, it's truly a team effort. And people don't realize, even with this last article that, that I put out, how much MJ and Micah do and, and I am so incredibly thankful for the relationships we have. I'm glad, you know, I couldn't have better teammates because they deal with me. You know, I can be, people might not realize that I can be a hothead sometimes. And, and I, we, we have a real brotherly relationship where, you know, they keep me grounded and it's like, well, Tim, you know, make sure we do this and this. And, you know, I can be like, you, all right, no, let's go to print. Um, <laughs> but they make sure we put out quality stuff and that's, it's really important. And, um, you know, for me, the biggest takeaway of this article, I think it, just to follow up and Micah said is I was, I've been very impressed, uh, especially once we kind of find out about these these intelligence reports, um, the quality of work that is being conducted by the current task force. Um, you know, I think that everybody well, is it just some, you know, like I said, some slap shot operation. Uh, I didn't I dropped the quote because I feel like there's only so much you can give, you know, a, a, me and Micah talked about this earlier and, and I get un, understand and would never 
ask anybody, just trust me blindly. And, and the, you know, there's times when we have to report or I'm, I have to make the decision. Am I going to re- not report this or am I going to report this? But in order to report this, I can't name who this person is because they work in a position where in some instances, A, it could cost them their job. Uh, you know, B, it could cost them their entire career because they may be in positions or agencies where their name can't be out there, you know, because of the work they do. Um, and so, should do we not report on this or do we report on it? And, and we had this, you know, good discussion where I, you know, I said, you know, in this battle space and world, the you don't have a lot of options other than just not reporting on it, it because you're not able to get the, the information is inherently classified by design. It is secret and, and for good reason in most cases. But at the same time, um, we have a responsibility as, as purveyors of information to the public to try to report on it responsibly as much as we can and not just throw our hands up because that's how the system's supposed to work. Uh, you know, intelligence isn't infallible. And, and, you know, we've seen stuff like weapons of mass destruction and everything else where it's important that the, the public has some input of what's going on responsibly. And so we're not going to just throw our hands up and we'll try to present it the best way we can. Um, and, but for me, I think a lot of the takeaways was I was impressed by how much is going on. It, to me, it was indicative of a a real operation. It was indicative of there are evidence besides just the photo we published today or, frankly, the triangle photo that we we are we were told about. Um, and, you know, that they believe this is a serious issue and and. I kind of maybe it it gets glossed over in those articles. But when I mentioned that, uh, you know, I was told that the best intel they have is Mason uh, measurement and signals data. That's really significant because those are the parts everybody wants. That's the nitty gritties. That's that's the, you know, the stuff that uh, makes Mick West shit his pants because you're like, oh, God, there goes the data. You know, what do you do? But you have to respect at the same time, these are systems that aren't designed to hunt UFOs. <laughs> They're designed for national security purposes and Especially, you know, it was a bittersweet, the, the water idea opens up a whole new world. And I think it opens up a whole new research world for the for UFO researchers, which I totally encourage because I, I want to make sure everybody knows like, we're going to continue to do what we do and report on it. But but we're not going to be analyzing videos. We're not going to be going out there hunting in the field. That's not our job. You know, that's there's a lot of great people to do that. And I look forward to that. And I think a lot of information can be gleaned by that. But when I heard, you know, the underwater stuff, you know, me and Mike, I had these conversations. I was like. Shit, because I know like this is, you know, you know that the B-21 Raiders in development, we've seen it. You know that the RQ-170 and the RQ-180, these new drones, uh, you know they're there in hints and whispers. You know the nuclear sub that was designed in the 80s. You know there's some stuff that's come in between that, but it's very easy to hide stuff underwater. And it is a very, to some extent, sterile environment in which if you don't have a nuclear submarine, <laughs> You're not able to figure this stuff out. And so the average public doesn't have those opportunities. Uh, And so you're like, gosh, getting data out of there is going to be very difficult. And potentially that's where the best data lies because they don't have to, you know, nobody's hoaxing anything down, you know, under the ocean. Um, And so it's very fascinating. I I think um, where I see it going with that, once I saw that, even though you didn't answer that, I'm just going to answer it anyway. Um, is I don't I don't know. It'll be interesting, but I think um, I think we won't see anything definitive. I think what people keep talking about disclosures on the way and everything. 
I haven't seen the hint that the government has actionable intelligence that can mitigate a threat if need be. And that's going to have to come about before you're going to see anybody step forward and say, all right, guys. But if your idea of, quote, disclosure or acknowledgement is that there's some weird stuff out here that some of the most sophisticated systems in the world still don't know. Well, then, yeah, you've got that. I think, you know, the government's giving you that publicly with videos and everything. You know, I hope so. But is also frightening if they don't know and they have all of that. I mean, Fred, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, disclosure is a process. I mean, I can't stress that enough. We're never going to get this huge drop that um, we've been, you know, hoping for, for 70 plus years. It's just not going to happen in my personal opinion, but I could be wrong. But um, I guess kind of playing off of that guys uh, in terms of what you were told, Tim, um, Mm -hmm. what, made this article uh, and also these photos that are gradually coming out and whatnot. Um, little conspiratorial. Do we think any of this could be disinformation? Were these things planted to kind of muddy the waters and keep us away or make us look into the ocean while the air force takes control of the UAP task force and does their thing in the shadows? Like, I don't know. Is that even a possibility? What do you guys think? Listen, everything's a possibility until it's not. Um, I would say it's unprecedented. And that's the thing, because um, you would have to be the the target of the disinformation would be your own people and your own intelligence community, your your own analyst who, uh, again, you know, thousands of analysts who their job isn't UFOs. (laughs) And, you know, their job is a whole bunch of other areas that relate to national defense. And so where's the purpose of disinforming them? And uh, just so we're clear, we've reported everything that, you know, we were, that was offered to us that was within the, the individuals who were willing to, to discuss details. And, and we had a number of others who were like, yes, that's true. I can confirm that, but I'm not telling you anything else. Um, I mean, these were from different agencies, different backgrounds and areas. So the kind of nature that you would have to spread out there. And in fact, I didn't expressly say this in that article, but I did notice um, some some very savvy. I swear the the UFO community are, are some of the best investigators I've ever seen. Though they're they're damn good open source investigators, picked up very quickly that when I mentioned that there were some individuals that said they saw this on uh, NSA Net, which is the internetwork between the National Security Agency, they very quickly went, "Ooh, wait!" And then maybe they Wikipedia and realized this network is connected with the Five Eyes which is Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, and the United Kingdom and the U.S. That means this went to other foreign governments. And so the span of people. So you, you have to go, well, what are you disinforming? You know, like, why would you disinform your own people? You know, can they be wrong? Sure. Can can that image that, that, that was put in that first report uh, be a balloon? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I wasn't given all the specifics behind it. Uh, it definitely looks like it, but, uh, what I think that they would knowingly intentionally put out a picture of balloon. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know how you would get it through those levels of checks and balances before it went that far. And I don't know where anybody would be like, ha, ah, we got them. We got the whole, because you depend, these are the communities you depend to defend you. These are the, these are the people who 
they don't they're they're unsung heroes but it's the reason why um you know we haven't had a tragedy like 9-11 since because they've been successful when they do and so you know, I respect and appreciate that. I, I guess my view on that, and I've told people, I come from a different background. I come from a big military family uh, who are in kind of the defense intelligence world. I see a different picture of them. They don't, they're not sinister. They're, they're just people. And I, but I do know where disinfo comes in. It's not on their own people. It's not on their own public. You know, it's, uh, it's the kind of propaganda you're used to, but it's it's the the armed forces network that goes out to the foreign countries that tries to make America look really good. You know, we can debate that, but in terms of this, um, you know, it just it, as it grows, I sit here and go. I, I mentioned this to Micah. If anybody's ever had a problem with their IRS, you know, statements or anything in the federal government, period. My, you know, my wife's a te- school teacher for the DOD, so I, I, I get a lot of DOD. I don't know where the hell they're hiding the efficiency <laughs> for a massive <laughs> conspiracy like that. Like, where is that hiding? Um, and to grow to this length, to now you've got military pilots involved, you've got political leaders, you've got all of this. So, no, I, I, I just don't believe that there's any massive dis- disinformation or cover-up campaign. They can be wrong. It can be a bad analysis for some reason. You know, it could be a lot of things, but I don't, I didn't purposely deceiving anybody. That's just my opinion, you know, but I'll get called a disinfo agent as soon as we get off the air. (laughs) (laughs) I see the dirty bastard. So (laughs) it is fair to point out a lot of the, a lot of what informs the suspicions of, you know, whether it's the UFO community or people in general, it's a couple of things. One, you know, humans, we've evolved to be very good at spotting patterns. And we often look for patterns where there are none, where none exist, but we try to find them anyway. That has aided us in survival since time immemorial. And no doubt it continues to, to this day. But we also have to remember that great scientific tenet that, you know, again, correlation does not necessarily mean causation. That's the psychological side of things. But if we look at historical precedent, yet again, the UFO community, for instance, would not be wrong to be suspicious at times on account of the fact that there is such precedent for disinformation. And again, you know, one can go back, you can read, for instance, Gerald Haynes' fantastic history there at CIA.gov about what was one, you know, once unknown about the CIA's involvement in UFO uh, research and investigations. Now, I can't say they were actively involved in studying the phenomena, trying to, you know, analyze it and understand it. The CIA, being an intelligence agency, fundamentally was interested in a couple of things they wanted to they thought it was initially very very unlikely that there was even anything to ufos but they said if there's a one in a ten thousand chance that there is a there there it is our job to look at that seriously and so one the cia was involved in terms of monitoring what the u.s air force with their project blue book and depending on when they became involved that might have also extended back further to sign and grudge as well the projects that preceded blue book but again what they were aimed at trying to do was to make sure there wasn't a there there, or if there was, how we could mitigate threats that might originate from that, to to study the U.S. Air Force and what they were involved with. And yes, the CIA was also involved in terms of trying to understand how knowledge of, or at very least public perception of the UFO phenomena might be useful in everything from, again, you know, you might just say counterintelligence oper- operations. You might say psychological warfare. I think that they had some of those things in mind, and those terms do come up in those official histories that only years later were published. 
And what they actually show is that at one time, the general public had not been aware of the involvement by the CIA. That information doesn't come out until much later. But you know, again, Haynes says in his own uh, historical uh, article there that once this information came out and even beforehand, this greatly contributed to the idea of there being a conspiracy or there being some sort of a secret involvement. And the CIA was really the kind of architects of Blue Book from behind the scenes. I mean, there was a lot of speculation about that over the years. And he said that these very factors certainly played into that. Now, you you know, speed ahead to the 1980s and the famous tragic case of Paul Benowitz and the fact that a guy who had actually picked up on secret tests the NSA was doing out there at Kirtland Air Force Base was misled to believe that there was aliens or that there was an alien component behind this. And he lost his mind. You know, I mean, again, there was a fantastic film uh, based on a book by my friend Mark Pilkington called Mirage Men that was written about this. So is there historical precedent for that kind of a thing? Yes, which really, and this is not to you know, condone it, uh, nor is it necessarily to condemn it. Although, you know, again, as a transparency advocate, I'm uncomfortable with those kind of things happening and the reality that such things have happened. But I will say that intelligence services, no doubt at times have probably proceeded in the interest of what they felt was best for national security. The, the sad thing is, is when there are casualties like Benowitz was. And so, again, I don't think that the UFO community is wrong to speculate about those kinds of things. But what makes the current uh, environment different. You know, presently what we have is we have, you know, not documents just being dumped, you know, and appearing on on microfilm on somebody's doorstep and then later being analyzed and shown to be fakes like the MJ12 documents, which some people continue to maintain are actual documents. Uh, you know, again, the majority of researchers myself included, I know Tim would, uh, you know, agree, think that the preponderance of evidence shows that those are not legitimate documents. But again, that is one way of getting information that's bad information and which indeed may actually have origins intended to, you know, stir the pot or maybe actually mislead the public. Um, in some regards, one might argue that they were successful in doing that, or at least in terms of sowing the seeds of confusion. Um, you know, the difference with what's going on today is that there aren't just documents appearing on somebody's doorstep. You've got Tim, you know, using the Freedom of Information Act or myself doing it, or MJ Benias, and other people outside of, you know, what we're doing with the debrief, who are all working as journalists to try and get information from outside. Again, you know, if I, I could throw out names like Brett Tingley, a good friend of ours, very good friend of ours. Uh, Ty Rogaway, also a very good friend of ours. We mentioned Tom Rogan earlier. A lot of people who are involved from the journalistic side of things, you know, upholding the fourth estate and hoping to try and aid in that doing its its, you know, best function. And again, I don't aspire to be some great writer, journalist, you know, or anything like that. But I do know the things that are valuable to me and which I think should be held up as values for not just Americans, but for people who are, you know, truth loving, you know, freedom loving individuals. This is a very different thing. So it's not wrong to speculate about those things. Yes, there's historical precedent for it and a, an abundance of it. And I would argue that people need to get out there and really, you know, read up on just how much of that there is. But I think that there are things that clearly define what's happening right now. And again, um, from what I've seen so far, based on the current information, based on Tim's reporting, um, I feel that it's important for the UAP task force to do their job and to be looking at what they're looking at. I'm to an extent comforted and also, I think, uh, a bit thrilled by that. And I think that these are certainly exciting times. Absolutely. And I mean, citizen journalism right now with this topic in particular, UAPs, is in a really good place. And Mike, I think you can agree with me. You know, we've seen some shoddy stuff throughout the years when it comes to this topic and how it's treated in the mainstream, who's writing about it. But I mean, 
stuff like what you're doing with debrief and other journalists out there, Adam Kehoe comes to mind. He was my guest mm-hmm. last week on the show. Uh, just incredible work being done in a legitimate way that we have not really seen. So, I mean, I agree. I think it's exciting. And also the fact that, like Tim mentioned, the UFO community is tenacious AF. If they want information, they'll either speculate beyond comprehension or they will go looking for it. And they have been successful in many ways, Tim, yourself included. So, I mean, it's just, I'm excited to see where this is all heading. And I think it's really, really awesome. Um, But then we always have to be careful of, are we you know, being disinformed and stuff like Benowitz. Um, we need a movie. We need a movie of the Paul Benowitz affair. Um, hint, hint. I won't say anymore. But um, moving along, I do want to kind of um, wrap things up, guys, because I know, Tim, you have another interview you're going to as well. But um, we have some questions about debrief and where it's all heading. And I'd like to know, um, actually, a lot of us would like to know, uh, let's see, Jen M included on Facebook asks, uh, will there be any sort of like forum or discord or anything like that where people can come together um, to kind of, you know, talk about the debrief and stuff to cover? Yeah. Anything like that in the works? I don't know if we have anything immediately in the works. And, uh, you know, we're always interested in in further dialogue on these sorts of things. And of course, always from hearing from people and we do have contact, uh, you know, capacities on the website where people can reach out to us. We've already heard from a number of fantastic people out there. That's certainly something to entertain though, because, you know, dialogue I think is important about all of this. Tim, are you okay on time by the way? Yeah, I'm about to have to run, but I, I, and so I'll just say this and then I've got to run. Um, yeah, absolutely. man. But no, I mean, I would just say that there is a number of things that we want to do with this outlet. And I mean, that are in the works and in play, you know, we wanted to go ahead and get it launched. We wanted to get it out there. Um, You know, we had a lot we wanted to say. There's a lot of articles we wanted to do. And and to some extent, we're still working out some kinks. Uh, But in terms of what we want to do, it's we have plans of growth. Uh, The idea of, like you said, a discord or some type of, uh, you know, debrief community type deal where, where people can have conversations is definitely something I think is worth entertaining. There's, there's a lot of things in place. So um, this is just the early stages and, you know, we'll keep growing it. Uh, the, the goal is to put out quality content and, um, you know, we welcome the criticism and, and you know, we, em- we embrace it. We'll continue to try to do the best that we do, you know, and that's, that's all we can do. But yeah, I mean, I just say, Stay tuned with us. And I like hearing that ideas because at, at the end of the day, we want to put out stuff for people, for all the things we said, to inspire people, not just for UFOs. But you know, I've always said, if somebody, if, if, if the kid who's in school right now is inspired by UFOs and we don't find anything but UFOs, but he figures out how to get us the hell out in the space, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I've always said, I want it to be aliens because I want to travel. If they can do it, I want to do it. Yeah, Tim so, and I are going to go hang out on the moon. That's what we really want out of all this. You know, we just want the technology. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but, maybe you can uh, hitch a ride with China. They seem to be uh, doing some pretty awesome stuff up there right now. So yeah, right. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. I got to go live in two minutes to bad. Absolutely, mouth. Tim. Thank <laughs> you so much, brother. Thanks no, no, for thank joining you. us, my right. man. Michael, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll end things here with a couple more questions, but take care, Tim. Thank you. All right. Thank you so all much, right. man. Take care, man. Godspeed. Bye. 
again just you and i is it and all we're right? down to the two of us let's uh let's get us full screen here there we go um <laughs> i know they're dropping like flies no you guys are super busy you dropped a bombshell again today so um everyone's doing the interview rounds which is awesome but i mean micah for the person who i know was kind of um the creator, the God behind the debrief, as it were. Um, I got to ask, brother, a lot of people want to know, can we expect maybe a podcast in the future with the debrief? Um, or is this pure speculation and hope on my part? Uh, it's not uh, pure speculation. I already produce so many shows. But um you know, to that point, a couple of things. Uh, first, as, as you mentioned, uh, MJ had joked in the chat the other day. I think he called me the creator of all things uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, this is a very homespun effort right now. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of people uh, in everything from technology, you know, to industry and whatnot, you know, who we've talked with. A lot of friends in the UFO community who we've spoken with. Um, but, you know, as of the time of launch. You know, I mean, everyone has aspirations, goals, things they want to do, areas they want to stretch out into podcasting, maybe being some of that. Um, I even was, you know, getting requests from people, you know, wanting to know, uh, you know, who's funding an operation like this. And and I guess it was kind of flattering to me that people would look at what we're doing and that they would say, you know, this looks like a real big operation. But for the time being, it's it's Tim, MJ and I. Uh there's been a lot of speculation about how it came to be. I mean, I think people like mysteries. The truth is, and Ryan, you know this because we've talked about it. Um, I had an idea uh, a little more than a year ago. You know, uh, the name came to mind. Uh, a domain was purchased. A very excited phone call was made to Tim McMillan, uh, who was very kind and, you know, indulged uh, me interrupting his evening with his family while he was still in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, you know, his wife hadn't taken the job and the opportunity for them to go to Germany at that time, which yet again, people have read way too much into, you know, I've seen online a lot of speculation, you know, who is this guy convenient that his wife works for the DOD, you know, people have endlessly speculated about, you know, who, where did he come from and how did he get into the UFO thing? I've told people, if you just go back in the archives in my podcast archives, you know, Tim was, what was it? I think February of 2019 when he right. still for a civil rights firm. He was a civil rights investigator in Savannah, Georgia. Came on my podcast. We talked about like psychology and a bunch of stuff like that, you know, and, um, you know, missing person cases, things like that. I think at the very end, I asked him, you know, what do you think about UFOs? And he told me about a personal, you know, observation that he, while in service as a law enforcement officer at the time, that he'd actually had. So he, he certainly had an interest in UFOs, but I mean, you know, we became friends. He reached out, I think, initially to me about the archaeological work I do. And so I think it's fair to say that, you know, we, this endeavor is built on a friendship. Um, and, yeah, I called him up after we were many months into that friendship and we talked, you know, and said, you know, we could really do something. But, of course, you know, you and I have always loved UFOs and I still do. Although that's not the main thrust of the debrief. Of course, I had that in mind early on and I got to hand it to Brother Tim. He had been the very one who had said, you know, I think, however, that there are a lot of other things that we could touch on and should touch on uh, mm -hmm. with a, a, a medium like this. And it was several months before, you know, we really began to formalize things right after my birthday this year. In fact, quarantine was already underway. Tim and I've been having actually on my birthday, been having a really great conversation on the telephone, just catching up. And uh, I think I'd lamented at one point, you know, all the things that we want to talk about, all the things we want to report on, you know, our interest in current developments with UAP and things like that. And then he called me back two days later and said, you know, what would you think about we, we really, 
get to work on this, you know, because right now, despite the craziness of the pandemic might be a really good time. And that's when he got MJ involved, you know, MJ, who is, you know, absolutely helped us steer this ship. And, and at that point, I got to say, we might've had an idea already, but at that point, that's when it really became a thing and began to really move forward between the three of us. And here we are today. But again, you know, I I'm flattered by the uh, perception that there's, some tremendous operation. And we certainly have had some fine contributions. I believe Ryan Sprague has been a contributor uh, for some content, and I hope you'll continue to in the future. And we've definitely had love, support, and contributions from fantastic people in the community. But it's very much a self-funded, self-built you know, home -built operation. We're incredibly proud of that, and we hope to do good things with it. But, yes, about a podcast, I won't, I won't put anything off the table. I'll never say never. Um, and, again, you know, Usually throughout the week, Tim and MJ and I are on several calls anyway. So although it was fun, when we initially dropped the information about the debrief, I was getting, you know, emails and tweets from people. Congrats on the new podcast. And I thought, we never what? had a podcast. And, I, you know, again, I guess people have kind of come to expect that from me. Um, so a lot of people kind of presumed. And unfortunately, there were also folks who were just saying, oh, this is just going to be another dumb podcast. I hope that we've uh, done a little to uh, set those concerns aside. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say you have for sure. And and also what you guys are capable of at the level that uh, we should expect and the standards we should set when it comes to UAP and technology and space and science and everything in between. So um, I guess leaving with a science question our last listener question, Micah, before uh, you give us the links and everything, is from our good, good friend, journalist, Jazz Shaw. And he wants to know, Micah, where is the stable element 115 supply and uh, when will the debrief be bringing that to the public? Well, that's a good question, Jazz, but he probably has more information about that than I do with all his connections with the intelligence community. And you know, I hear uh, he's got a summer home, kind of a timeshare that he and Bob Lazar share and that from time to time they both go there. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I look, you know, here's the whole thing. Um, Bob Lazar's story has, has obviously interested me over the years. Um, I can't tell you if, if, you know, it's true or not. I have certain days of the week where I look at all this and I kind of, you know, my brother Brett Tingley and I often talk about this. Uh, and and actually early on, I think really Tim McMillan and I also talked about this a lot. I remember Tim and I having a conversation on the phone um, where we were kind of saying, uh, you know, if, if you could get to the bottom of the UFO thing and really prove its origins, which must be here on Earth. You know, this is our technology or somebody's here. I mean, you know, this would be the story of the century. And then you, you get into it a little um, and you uh, you kind of begin to realize that, I mean, nothing is is off the table again i i would say that that could certainly be a possibility but you get to a point where it becomes far more difficult to entertain a possibility like that based on the weight of the evidence i mean i'm far more comfortable with the uap ufo kind of thing just saying i don't know what it is but i think we need to be careful as we learn about it not to try and make it fit into one box or another right yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned, you know, Brett Tingley and I have talked about this. And again, he is one of the best reporters, in my opinion, on the uh, aerospace and, you know, defense side of this. You know, his fantastic writing from over there at the war zone. Uh, you know, Tim's also contributed over there. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, can I say it's ne necessarily something from here? I can't. So how does that deal with, you know, how does that relate to Bob Lazar? Again, those other days of the week, I wake up and I ask myself, what if it's all true? 
You know, yeah. what, what, what if, what if as crazy a proposition is that might seem to some people, myself included again, but someone who has looked at the history of this and, and how it, every few decades, the argument comes back. There appears to be a phenomenon that we can't identify. Could this be Russia? I mean, it's, it's so laughably predictable. The, the way that every point almost on cue, you know, so easily anticipated every one of those points, you know, just shows up on the stage right when they're supposed to. And every few years, there's a, you know, a clock reset and it all starts again. And here we are yet again, more than a half a century after it all began. Well, we've got a phenomenon here and uh, our best technology can detect it. Again, I'm talking about the Raytheon app flare targeting pod. People would say, well, we didn't have that decades ago. No, we didn't. But right after the second world war, we did have a brand new technology called radar, right? You know, we had the capability, this innovated during wartime, as many great innovations are, right? During the perils of war, we were able for the first time probably to detect something which very well could have been, this is speculation, but it could have been around for a long time. So again, I would say that the corollary there is that at that time, new technology brought to our attention something that we couldn't identify. We speculate about whether it's Russia and ultimately come to the conclusion that, well, we don't know what it is. And if there is anything, it doesn't appear to be an immediate threat. So we're going to stop throwing taxpayer dollars at trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, I hope maybe the dialogue is is pushed a little further down the field in the current context of things and that it won't just be another system reset and another repeat a few decades from now when the next big technology helps us a little better than before detect whatever that might be if there's a that at all. Certainly seems like it. And if there's one big takeaway from the whole Nimitz affair, you know, the Pentagon's uh, three videos that were officially declassified earlier this year and the use of instrumental capabilities that are you know new in this dialogue. If there's anything that's that's, I think, important to be said about all that in the current state of, of the, the dialogue about this, it is that it's very difficult for me, uh, particularly to look at Chad Underwood's footage, you know, related to the 2004 Nimitz incident. It's very difficult for me to look at that footage and say, yeah, that's probably just weather phenomenon, right? I mean, it may ultimately prove that one day we will have a, a simple explanation for this and we'll all look at it and go, how did we miss that? <laughs> no, that is the scientific process. But what I don't want to see is us completely ignoring it because it seems so far out that we can't reconcile it in our current paradigmic thinking, right? And so, again, there are those days of the week that I wake up and I say, God, element 115 and everything else, what if it is all true? But those things, as philosopher of science Thomas Kuhn would have said, you know, those things are all in what we might call a pre-scientific stage of the development of our understanding of this idea. So again, I ain't saying it's aliens. Many people hope that it is, but I'm not a believer in that any more than I'm a believer, right, in the idea of a Russian technology or a Chinese technology or atmospheric phenomena that can somehow miraculously take the appearance of a very advanced technological component that we can't identify. I don't believe what I do is I try to say in terms of science and in terms of, you know, responsible journalistic dialogue how can we best frame something that apparently we don't have full understanding of? That's really where we are. And I hope we can continue to progress in that regard. Absolutely, man. An ever-evolving mystery that we all just want answers to. And uh, we want those answers all for separate reasons, which I think is beautiful. And uh, like you said, I'm the same way. I wake up every day changing my mind. And that's what's most important. And I think 
amazing about this thing. We can change our mind. That's allowed. And we're allowed to do that in a country where we have free speech to do so. So, hey, you know, I think that's amazing. I love the discourse going on both uh, in the UFO world and beyond. And you guys are going to be a big part of that moving forward with the debrief. And, um, you know, just when we think we have an answer, the, uh, the phenomenon always gets us. Thank you, James Fox. Had to do a little plug there. Yeah. But um, Micah, please tell us, brother, where can we find everything you are personally up to? And where can we find everything that the debrief is up to, brother? Give it oh, to well, us. I, you know, the debrief isn't hard to find. Uh, <laughs> a little right now, because it seems to be crashing every two minutes, but that is a good problem to have. I guess it is. You know, we've got some fantastic people who have, uh, you know, again, uh, been kind enough to to help us and to give their time, uh, you know, friends of ours, right? You know, who are coming in and, and saying, you know, let's let's you know help this make the you know, make it what it can be, and and it is so tremendously humbling when you've got people who are so much better at you know the technical side of things like this than you know you or I are, who see the potential and want to do that. And again, that is um, maybe the greatest gift that comes out of all of this. In addition to being able to work with people like Tim and MJ. Uh, and yourself, I'll never forget. And I'll just say this and then I'll give that domain in, in other ways that they can reach us. But again, many years ago, I got an email. No, I think it was a, a message on Facebook from Ryan Sprague saying I'm writing an article for Open Minds magazine, you know, and uh, you're an inspiration to me. And, and here you are uh, in many ways with your shows many years later, you know, kind of leading the discussion on this, you know, and helping to frame that debate. And so I, I appreciate you, too. And you're as much a part of that as uh, any of the aforementioned names. I, I value that and I appreciate it. And I hope you'll continue to press on and do what you do very well. But thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that said, uh, the debrief dot org is where people can find us online. Um, we're going to be reporting on a lot of things right now. Again, I'm working very, I, I won't say a whole lot about all the stories I'm working on. Not all of them are related to UAP in any way, but AI, I will just kind of mention is a big component in one of my current investigations. And one thing I'm working on, Tim and I are working on a piece together that will have to do with UAP and it's going to blow people's minds as it always does. But, uh, and, and, you know, all of us are working on things. Uh, right now for the site. Uh, we are on Twitter, Debrief Media. You can also find us on Facebook. There is a Facebook page. If you just go online, I think, and look for the Debrief, you can find us there. Um, You're welcome to reach out to us. We have a contact page there on the website, and uh, we're always happy to hear from people and uh, interact with folks. Right now, there's so much stuff going on, on over there on Twitter. It's hard to keep up with all of it, but we do try to, you know, keep tabs on what people are saying, what they, you know, have to say, their thoughts, you know, their feedback. And we appreciate all that, too. But again, the debrief.org, that's where you can find everything. Uh, for those who are interested, apart from all of that, if you want to look at me, what I do in my podcasts, uh, you know, and also, you know, commentary on a wide range of things, not just UAP. Uh, MicahHanks.com is the website. And of course, I've got my podcast available there too at micahanks.com forward slash podcasts. Uh, Ryan, we'll have to get you back on sometime soon and continue this dialogue, man. Absolutely, brother. I'd be honored. And again, my congratulations to the three of you. You uh, you created something that I think is truly going to contribute to this topic uh, and the world in general. And I have to thank you guys for letting me be even a small fraction of that. And um, to everyone out there, the UFO Twitter community, the UFO community and beyond, thank you for listening, watching, and give these guys your full support because we need them. And we're going to be in your corner, my man. So thank you for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you, MJ. Thank you, Tim. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Micah. Thank you. 
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.